Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. morning, morning. If we can be taking our seats, please. Um, those of you at home, you're already in your seats, but hello to everyone who's on Zoom. Give me a wave. Give me a wave. Yeah, I can see the waving. Yes. Yes. Um, so, good morning to you all. Uh, welcome to Heathervale Baptist Church. Um, we hope you'll have a wonderful time here. I'm Steve. I'm going to be leading us through the service and later. Uh, Mark's going to be coming and giving a young person's talk. Um, I wonder what that one. Does anyone know what's under the cloth yet? Oh, all right, okay. Um, and um, and uh, and Martin's going to be speaking to us later. Actually, Martin, can you come up and just give um, a couple of notices that I know that you've got? Um, and do you want to come and give a notice as well, Mark? Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I'll go first. Thanks. Um, just a couple of really important things. Um, this Tuesday. Have a really important church meeting so for members really make please do make an effort to to be there we've got a number of important things to discuss and agree on uh prayer meeting uh tonight at six o'clock um again we're going to be sharing some feedback from the recent fire starters conference that we hosted here a couple of weeks ago and some really exciting stuff there to to pray for um, and also this uh thursday um is uh sylvia's uh service of committal at uh, Woking. Um, everyone is uh, invited uh, to attend. Um, I'm trying to remember, Evelyn, what's the time of that? The service on Thursday? 10 o'clock. Yeah, 10 o'clock at uh, Woking Crematorium. Everyone's invited. And if you'd like to come back here um, afterwards, there is uh, refreshments here, which again, um, you're all invited to. Yes. Yeah, thank you. There's a sign-up sheet. Uh, if you just to help us organise catering, there's a sign-up sheet for um, the refreshments for Sylvia's committal here, um, and that's on the uh, counter of the of the kitchen there. So please sign up if you're intending to come uh, for food here on Thursday. Uh, Mark's got a notice as well. Thank you. Hiya. Um, you will notice on the back of the weekly sheet that there's a, an advert on the back page. Um, we have a community barbecue this Sun Saturday coming um, to celebrate the coronation of King Charles III, um, open to the whole community. So if you want to leaflet, there's some out in the lounge. You can invite who you want. If you want to help, that would be really great also. Um, there is a sign-up sheet for that in the uh, hatch in the, the lounge as well. Um, so we need help serving and clearing up and, and serving drinks and all of that sort of stuff. So if you'd like to get involved in that, that would be brilliant. Um, that's about it. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> So let's start our service with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have ordained praise from your people. And so, Lord, we ask this morning as we come before you now, Lord, fill our hearts with joy, fill our hearts with expectation, fill us with wonder and awe for the fact that you are an amazing God. And so, Lord, just come now by your Holy Spirit. Fill this place, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Those who are able to stand, let's stand and let's sing. Mm -hmm. 
that third verse again.
says, I am your father, the root of your salvation, through the blood of Jesus. Where then is my honor? I have no partiality. Even as Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as, a destined, as destined by God, as a ransom for many. Be grateful for a chance to enter a kingdom, prepared for you, that cannot be shaken. So glorify God with your body. Confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your word. How good it is to come into your courts with praise and thanksgiving, Lord, to declare that you are mighty, you are almighty God, and yet we can have that relationship, that special relationship with you because of your love, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on that cross for our redemption, for our salvation. What an amazing God you are, Lord. And we just delight to be able to worship you, to raise our voices to you, to declare you're our God, you're our Savior, and we love you, Lord because you first loved us, Lord. Help us to be worthy of that. We never will be in a proper sense, Lord, but we want to be responsive to you, responding to you, responding to your love, responding to your Holy Spirit working in us, within each one of us, Lord. We're not alone. You are for us. You are with us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Mm. Amen. Um, God, um prompted me, you know, when you have to come up, um, that one of the lines of that song was reaching out to you within your darkness. Um, and he just gave me the picture of um, a father's hand reaching out to a little one, either to take them by the hand across the road or to scoop them up, um, to just, for those who are in a dark place, that let God reach out to you and he will take you in his arms and you don't even have to do anything, he will do it for you. Amen. Thank you. Isn't it good to just come and rest in God's presence, to stand in awe of him, to, to realize how amazing he is to each one of us? It's just amazing. Thank you. Mark, can we... Uh, Ask for you to come up and reveal all. we on yeah good well back again second time this morning that's good isn't it um, and it's great to be here I love coming up here and, and chatting to you guys I love seeing 
your smiley faces, and, and uh, it, it's just great to see you all. Um, but today I'm going to be talking about justice. Now, justice is a bit of a funny word. Does anyone know what justice is? Well, that's, that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> um, as I say, it's a funny word, but basically it has to do with fairness, reward, and punishment. We often hear people saying that they're seeking justice for something, don't we? Either through compensation, legally through the courts, or even just a simple apology. Justice is about obeying the law and what happens if we break the law. Have you noticed that on many court buildings, they have a statue uh, of a lady holding a set of scales and a sword? Something that you can see on the screen here. So we've got the Old Bailey there in London, Dublin Castle, and the Palace of Justice in Bruges, just three examples, and they're all around the world, of a lady, of, this is Lady Justice. The scales represent the, the weighing of the evidence, and they therefore decide the guilt or innocence of the accused. The sword represents the authority to carry out a just penalty. Now, it just so happens that I have a set of scales here. <laughs> um, now, these are actually very old scales. They, um, oh, I shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that to them. Um, they belong to my father-in-law, and he used them in his work as a silversmith. Um, I'm not going to touch them anymore. Um, so, when I obey the law, this is me, right? You can tell this is me because I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> Let's just take this right off. Now, this is where it gets a little bit delicate because trying to get him to stand up is quite tricky. So, There we go. So, when I'm obeying the law, everything is in balance. Everything is in equilibrium. Um, there's, there's no right, no wrong. But, if I were to do something wrong, if I were maybe to lie or to steal something, or even to murder, then the scales would tip and the weight of justice would find me guilty. I'd have to sit in front of a judge. They would weigh the evidence. I'd have to pay a penalty for my crime. Maybe I'd go to prison. Maybe I'd have to pay a fine or something like that. Justice would have to be done, wouldn't it? Because laws are there to try and make everyone's life better, aren't they? They set boundaries 
of fairness and equality, or at least they're meant to. They seek to provide security and stability. And did you know, in fact, that a lot of our laws in this country and around the world find their origins in the Bible? Um, in particular, in the Ten Commandments, the laws that God gave Moses some three and a half thousand years ago are instilled in our laws in this country. The laws God gave that long ago have never been bettered. I think that's quite amazing. And God gave the law because he loved the, his people. He wanted the best for them. He wanted them to live in harmony and equality. And Jesus said that he hadn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And, and he even extended it in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? And last week, we heard about the two greatest commandments, the two greatest laws, if you like, love God and love others. But laws are no good if they don't have any consequences, are they? There's no point in having a law that says, you shall not steal, but actually, don't worry if you do, because we're not going to do anything about it anyway. What's the point of that law? There has to be a penalty. There has to be some sort of consequence for breaking the law. That's true of our laws in this country and around the world, and it's also true of God's law. If we break God's law, and that's what we call sin, it's basically choosing our own way instead of God's way. That is what sin is. Um, there has to be some consequences. Breaking the law is putting ourselves first instead of God. And the consequences, according to the Bible, the penalty for that sin should be death. So when we put ourselves first, when we break God's law, the Bible says we deserve to die. That's, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Remember the sword, Lady Justice, a swift retribution? And God is the ultimate judge, isn't he? He is just and fair. And because he is just and fair, he cannot ignore sin. Because that wouldn't be just. That would undermine all that God is. So we're all sentenced to death just to let you know this morning. <laughs> but God loves us, doesn't he? Um, he created the world and everything in it. He created us, and he said it was good. He loves us because he created us. He loves us with that unconditional love that we cannot understand. So he doesn't want us to die. But sin does have to be punished, doesn't it? Because that's the just thing to do. So, step in Jesus. We'll just put him there for a minute. Stay. So I'm in the courtroom, and God is the judge, and the weight of evidence 
is stacking up against me. And I've fallen over. I'm under so much pressure. Stay there, Mark. Oh, well. I'll, I'll, I'll lie down in the courtroom. There we go. Um, and the weight of evidence is stacking up against me. The evidence has been heard. I'm standing in front of the judge. He's about to pronounce his judgment, isn't he? And that judgment is death. But right at the last minute, Jesus walks in and he says, I know what this man's done and I know what his punishment should be. But don't punish him. Punish me instead. And he steps onto the scales and takes the weight of my sin and your sin and everyone else's sin upon himself. He tips the scales away from me and onto him. So he takes the penalty for my sin. God's justice is satisfied. And I am released. Uh, death is defeated. Sin is overcome. So that I and we can all have that relationship with God. Life in all its fullness, abundantly, forever. And all we have to do is to accept Jesus' offer, to, to accept him into our lives as our Lord and Savior, to say yes to Jesus, ask him to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong, and to seek to obey his commands. So why don't you do that today? Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Well, it's time for our young people to go out to their groups. Um, I don't know who you're following this morning. All right, Helen, thanks. <laughs> and we'll be praying for you um, as you go out. And can we also have the offering, please? Whoever has that. Thank you, Paula. Just pop that down at the front. Okay, thanks. So while we're praying for the children and young people and also for the offering, um, uh, we're also going to be praying for um, Judy Thomas, who's currently in uh, St. Peter's. Also, um, we heard this morning that Anne Norman's had a fall um, and has had a break, I believe, break, broken her wrist. So she's also at St. Peter's at the moment. So uh, prayers for, for that this morning as well. Um, and for any others in our fellowship who, who really need a touch this morning, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our young people. Thank you for their joy. Thank you for their love for you. And Lord, we pray now that as they go out to their groups and uh, come to learn more about you and about your love, Lord, we just ask that you would just continue to, to, to help them grow in faith. Pray for the leaders who are out there with them, Lord, that you would just give them the right words to, to help encourage them. Lord, we thank you for, for the young people in this church. And uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless them today.
And Lord, we, uh, we want to thank you for the money that's been given this morning. Thank you that everything that we have comes from you. And so, Lord, gladly and joyfully, Lord, you ask us to be a joyful giver. And so joyfully we give back to you. Um, and we ask that it would be used to extend your kingdom, uh, not just here in New Hall, but around the earth, Lord. Well, we want to see more people coming to know you. And so we, we just ask for you to do that. And Lord, this morning, there are those in our fellowship who really need a touch from you at this morning. This morning. We think of Judy Thomas, Lord, we ask for you to, to be with her and help her. For Anne, Lord, who's probably in a lot of pain at the moment, Lord, we ask for you to just be with the people who are, are treating her, Lord, and, and helping her get through this break, Lord. We ask that you would just be with them. And Lord, for others in our fellowship, Lord, we, we just ask now, Lord, you would just, for those who, who, who really need a touch of, of healing from you this morning, Lord, think of Julie, I can see her this morning, Lord. We just ask for you to help in, in mending her, her wrist, her arm, Lord. Pray for Eve, Lord, who's still not well. And uh, Lord, I just ask for you to, to just raise her up, Lord. And the others that we're naming in our, in our hearts at the moment, Lord, would you just be a, be a God who, who can just come alongside and, and not just bring physical healing, but, Lord, also spiritual healing. Lord, we know you're a God who does more than we can ask or think. So, Lord, move by your spirit this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so this morning, Martin's going to be continuing on in our series. And this morning's reading is from... can't remember exactly. It's 1 Peter, isn't it? Is it? No? Yes. Well, 1 Peter 1. I knew it was 1 Peter 1. <laughs> Starting at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God let's pray for Martin as he comes Lord thank you for your word thank you that it's life to each one of us and Lord now as Martin um, takes this passage and and teaches us from it Lord would you just open our ears open our hearts open our eyes to what you're wanting to do in our lives we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steve, for leading us so well. Great. Um, so, looking this morning at God most just, um, Christianity is, is um, in Christianity, God is both a God of love and of justice. And many... Um, People struggle with this today, the idea that God can be both just and loving. Um, people believe that a loving God can't also be a judging God. Um, so some contemporary liberal theologians uh, really struggle to hold the two together. So here's a quote from some of you may have read this book. Read it with caution and be critical as you read it. But it's, it's, it's OK to engage with stuff that you don't agree with because um, you can actually disagree with it and uh, it makes your faith position stronger. And I certainly 
would disagree with this book, but it's good to be critically aware of these things. So Rob Bell, who was very popular a number of years ago for um, the NUMA videos, um, I don't know if you remember the NUMA videos, but they were very sort of trendy about 10, 10 years or so ago. But he's on a trajectory where he's moved further and further away from the core gospel message and has become very liberal. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Love Wins. Um, and he, he says this, quote, what is God like? Millions and millions of people were taught that the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus, is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. And so what gets subtly sort of caught and taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. But what kind of God is that? That we would need to be rescued from this God. How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted? And how could that ever be good news? So there's an example of a kind of temporary theologian struggling with the idea that a loving God can also be a God of justice. And often the question that liberal writers will frame this in is, is something like this. How can a God of love be also a God filled with wrath and anger? If God is loving and perfect, he should forgive and accept everyone. Kind of, you can see the appeal, can't you? God shouldn't get angry if he's loving and kind and compassionate. But this is clearly false, isn't it? Logically, it's false. From your own experience, it's false. All loving people are sometimes filled with righteous anger. Not just because of, because of but not just despite, but because of their love. If you love a person and you see someone ruining them, or even they themselves ruining themselves, you're not going to be indifferent or apathetic, are you? Out of love. Becky Pippa in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, says this, quote, think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. You see, the Bible says that God's wrath flows from his love and delight in creation. God is angry at evil and injustice because it's destroying the integrity and peace of the good world that he made. John Stott defines God's wrath in this way, quote, the wrath of God is almost totally different from human anger. It does not mean that God loses his temper, flies into a rage, or is ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. The alternative to wrath is not love, but neutrality in the moral conflict, and God is not neutral. On the contrary, his wrath is his holy hostility to evil, his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his final judgment upon it. That's how you hold love and judgment together. Um, just, you know this from your own personal experience. Discipline, judgments have to be made in loving relationships. There need to be boundaries. According to the Apostle Peter, God is both impartial judge 
and loving father. The idea of both obedience to God in living a holy life and fear of God's wrath have fallen out of favour in many Christian circles. And Peter reminds us that the God who sent his son is both a personal loving father and an impartial judge. This is what verse 17 says. Since you call on a father, notice the relationship there, a father who is loving, who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. That kind of uh, teaching is not popular today, even amongst Christians. The idea of reverent fear of God, who's our judge and our loving father at the same time. It's fallen out of popularity. Um, the idea now is kind of God accepts and loves everyone and is inclusive of everyone, regardless of what they do. And uh, of course, that's true in the gospel. The cross forgives all. But then as Christians, we are called to live holy lives in reverent fear of God. And there are consequences of our behavior if we don't live according to God's law. God may leave us to the consequences of our sin and rebellion and we'll feel not close to him, but far off from him. There are consequences of sin. You know this. If you're struggling with an addiction or a repeating pattern of sin, you get very depressed and despondent and low if you seem to be battling the same sin over and over again because you feel the distance from God by your sin. You feel cut off, far off from God. You lose your joy, your contentment in the Lord. And God sometimes allows us in his love to be disciplined, to feel the consequences of our own sin so that we will turn back to him. That's his love, isn't it? Sometimes he leaves us to our own devices precisely so that we will reach out to him and go, Lord, you know what? This living life on my own terms is not so good after all. It leaves me lonely, depressed, low in my spirit. Lord, I need you back in my life. That's what repentance is, isn't it? The Lord disciplines those he loves. Um, Jesus disciplined and judged the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, or some of them anyway. He didn't just go, oh, I love and accept you the way you are. Carry on sinning. It's okay. I love you. You're welcome. He said, repent to some of the churches that had gone lukewarm or were indulging in false teaching. He said, repent, turn away from it. Come back to me. Get your house in order. So God is both loving and just. In his love, he has ransomed us, bought us back from the empty way of life, which is sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you know, we are all born into an empty way of life, into a kind of slavery. And that empty way of life and slavery means that we enter the world cut off and separated from God. We don't enter the world loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. 
Uh, you just have to look at the behavior of a toddler to see that. But unfortunately, many of us go on behaving like toddlers. We want life on our terms, independently of God. We want to live life our way with ourselves in the driving seat and God in the passenger seat. Well, Lord, so long as you fit in with my plans and my priorities, you know, that's okay. But don't tell me what to do. We'd never say that out loud, of course, but we live as though that's true, don't we? We don't give God the driving wheel of our lives. We put him in the passenger seat. That's sin. Living independently of God and not allowing him to reign over the whole of our lives is what the Bible calls sin. It's not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we're all born into that. We all love other things created things rather than God our creator we love ourselves more than God and our own dreams and ambitions and plans we love created things more than God material things money holidays and all the rest of it leisure we love careers more than God all of these things lead to an empty way of life I don't know how many biographies of celebrities and famous people I've read where they just talk about an emptiness you know they've got all the money and the fame and yet there's always something missing um always something missing and we of course would say that there's a god-shaped hole without christ filling it augustine that wonderful church father one of the greatest theologians in my view ever talked about our hearts are restless until they come to rest in christ we will always feel that there must be something more if we don't have Christ in our hearts. Life doesn't deliver, does it? Um, there is a buzz from material things. I, I got a buzz yesterday because I had, I, I never buy clothes through the post, but yesterday I had a pair of shoes, thank you, <laughs> arrived in the post. These days, I say I'm only in my 50s, but I have to have arch support shoes. So I had to order these off the internet, right? And I got a real buzz when the box was delivered. But my wife is constantly having stuff delivered. <laughs> and um, it comes and then it goes again. All right, the package comes, she tries it on and it's out the door again, it goes again. But I had a buzz because I had something to open. Felt like Christmas for a moment. Life has these little moments of joy and contentment. But do you think buying stuff off the internet is going to give me lasting joy and contentment? Of course it's not. These are minor little highs, aren't they? God wants us to have a joy and a contentment that is lasts forever that goes on beyond the little buzzes that we get in everyday life. And there are many of those, aren't there? There is a God-shaped hole in all of us and only Christ can fill it. Jesus paid the ransom price for our sin, which is death, when he died on the cross in our place, as Mark's illustration so wonderfully illustrated, didn't that? We feel empty without Christ. Our lives feel futile without meaning, purpose, joy, contentment. And that's why Christ came to redeem us, to ransom 
us, to pay the penalty of sin, which is death, on our behalf, so that we can know God and know life in all its fullness. Isn't that great? So I want to look at four, four, four ways we're called to respond to God as both impartial judge and loving father. First, God's just discipline. So is justice something a Christian never experiences from God? Well, on the final judgment day, God, our loving father and judge, will not look upon us with a final wrath that separates us from him. If we've kept the faith and loved him through our lives, we will be entering into eternity with him. But he still parents us in this life with loving discipline. He gives us his laws, his teachings, his commands. And as I said just now, if we go off the path, sometimes he allows us to feel the consequences so that we'll turn back to him. We don't always appreciate his loving discipline, do we? We don't always like some of, some of the commands and laws and teachings we struggle with. Let's be honest, some of them, we'd rather they weren't there because <laughs> they make us uncomfortable. But who are we to judge God, the perfect just, just judge? God knows better. Um, I mentioned last week we fostered... Um, teenager and his daughter in our previous church and the teenager he really didn't appreciate any loving discipline didn't didn't want it he'd been used to being out most of the night and suddenly we were asking him to be in before 12. 12 o'clock he said you must be joking just when the night's getting going but we insisted that he came in and that was that was a nervous point as the clock hit 12 and he came in but he did and now he's got his own wife and children and he actually thanked us for caring for him and showing him some loving discipline. Sometimes we don't always understand or appreciate God's loving discipline, but you know, he knows best. He loves us and he's growing us to be more like him, more like his son, Jesus. And little by little, he's turning us away from our sin and turning us towards him so that we go deeper in love with him. Second, God's just wrath. It's at the cross where we see love and wrath meeting. I think Graham Kendrick wrote that in one of his uh, hymns, didn't he? At the cross that love and mercy or love and wrath meet together. God's holy wrath against all of the sin and injustice of the world rained down on God's son um the only human being who's ever walked the earth who was perfectly just was jesus christ and yet all of god's justice god's holy wrath rained down on him on the cross why not because god took some sort of perverse delight in punishing his son sorry steve chalk you're wrong that's what he wrote, that it's a form of cosmic child abuse. Nonsense. It's because God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. It doesn't mean that God loves Jesus any less. It just means that he wanted to save the world. And he knew that he had a plan to resurrect his son. Um, 
Imagine the scenario that you were placed on trial for a crime you committed in broad daylight. You enter the courtroom and you discover that your dearly loved, infinitely loving, good and compassionate father is seated on the bench. Imagine also as you stand to plead guilty, your brother Jesus Christ rises up to plead for you on your behalf. Wow. His testimony stands. He has carried your guilt for having rebelled against God's rule. He has carried God's justice upon his shoulders in the form of a wooden cross. You are declared not guilty. You are free, no longer condemned. That's what the gospel is. Jesus stands and pleads for you and me as we trust in him to the Father that we should be set free and acquitted and declared not guilty. Isn't that wonderful? That's God's love. It's God's justice that Jesus should die, but it's God's love that we should be declared not guilty and acquitted at the bar of God's justice. Christ was punished in our place and God would be unjust to punish us for a sin that has already been paid for. Some of us need to receive the gospel a bit more than we do. Rather than uh, beating ourselves up with past failure and feeling condemned and guilty for past failure, we need to look at the cross and realize that once and for all, Christ dealt with it and it's gone. It's finished. It's been wiped away. Your failure and sin from the past is dealt with. Otherwise, Christ's death is not sufficient. I don't want to say that, do you? Uh, third, God's justice keeps us from justifying ourselves. This is a struggle for Christians who've been Christians for a while, actually, because we forget that we're sinners. You know, when we've been serving on rotors for decades, we start to feel a little bit like the elder brother, right? In the parable of the, um, the prodigal son, who, who's sort of standing outside, a little bit grumpy that this sinner brother of his gets to party, right? Well, I've been doing this for years. And you're welcoming in these sinners. Well, where's my party? Where's my recognition? That's what we get like, isn't it? After a few years of being a Christian, we get a little bit self-justifying, a little bit self-righteous, a bit down on other people, criticizing, condemning others if we feel that they don't match up to our high standards. We've forgotten the cross, haven't we? That's the problem. We'll feel the effects if we forget that we are sinners who have been justified through, through Christ. We'll begin to slip into patterns of denying or minimizing our own sins and bigging up the sins in other people. We, we all do it. Let's be honest. How do you know you're starting to score keep? Well, you get finickety and irritable about people, don't you? I, I, I meet with a, a couple of pastors uh, quite regularly and one of them confessed to me on Friday, he said, I think I, I would you pray for me he said I know I'm getting irritable and angry because he said somebody used my skip the other day and it drove me up the wall he said they dared to put stuff in it without asking me and he said there must be more important things in life why am I angry he said pray for me so I prayed for him stupid things isn't it 
We get irritable, restless, angry about the most pernickety, ridiculous things because we've forgotten how loved we are. We've forgotten what it costs Jesus to forgive us and save us from our sins. So we start judging and getting angry at pernickety little things. We get irritated about people who we feel are not doing what they should be doing. All the while, we miss the plank in our own eye. But God, it costs Jesus his life to save me. So how on earth can I get pernickety and judgmental of other people? But we do. Lord, have mercy and help us not to go that route. Fourth, see, I'm there. I'm number four already. You, you all panicked. You thought, four? Four? Yeah, this one's got three pages. No. We will do justice if we realize how much we've been forgiven. The gospel is the basis of doing justice. Liberal Christians have not captured the field about justice. The gospel is what drives and motivates doing justice. Glad I don't live in the States for all sorts of reasons, but not least from the way they polarized the left-wing Christians who are all into justice against the sort of the right-wing Christians who are supposedly not as into justice or at least a different type of justice. Thankfully, we've got a more balanced approach here. I think that, that in itself would cause me not to want to go to the States to preach. Anyway, God makes it clear how we are to respond to his loving justice. Oh, this is a great verse, isn't it? Oh, car bumper verse, fridge magnet verse. But we need to do this stuff, don't we? Um, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? If we know that God's justice has been poured out on his own son on our behalf, we're going to want to do justice and act with mercy and loving kindness to others, aren't we? Aren't we? God's will is that we do justice. We've already said God is opposed to evil, injustice and oppression because he's a holy, loving, good and perfectly just God. He's not indifferent to oppression and abuse. He's angry, rightly so. And God demonstrates his loving justice by meeting physical needs as well as our primary need for spiritual salvation. Jesus came to rescue us primarily from sin, but he also demonstrated God's loving actions through justice. He fed the hungry, didn't he? He showed compassion to the marginalized and powerless. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. All of these sicknesses and demons caused people to be cut off from the community of God's people in the temple. And Jesus healed them so that they could join in with God's people and not be marginalized or oppressed. Jesus laid hands on and welcomed the children who were seen as the lowest of the low in Israelite society of the time. He deliberately went after the powerless, the marginalized, the disadvantaged, the poor, because that's who God is. Psalm 68 says this, as a father of the fatherless and protector of widows, that's who God is father of the fatherless and protector of widows. 
In ancient times, the widow and the orphan were those most likely to suffer exploitation or to be forgotten by their communities. They lacked social or economic power. They had no voice and no advocates, no one to speak up for them. I wonder who are the people in our community who have nobody to speak up for them, no advocates? Who are the people without economic power? Well, there's a lot more people now, aren't there? With rising uh, rates of interest, there are going to be more and more people without power who've got no voice. Doesn't it make doing justice and things like let's do lunch that much more important? So, hello? You don't look convinced. Didn't Jesus feed the hungry? Didn't Jesus provide community? There are so many lonely people in our community. Are you with me? So I just feel like we've uh, gone to sleep. I don't know if you were asleep this morning or what, but uh, there are so many people who are isolated and lonely in our community. So many hurting people. Who's going to speak up for them? Who's going to act for them? There are so many young people with mental health problems. We have an, an anxiety pandemic, if I can say that word, in our culture. Who's speaking up for these people? Who's speaking up for those who are struggling to pay for essentials, just for food? Who's speaking up for those who are struggling with grief? Who's speaking up for those who have fled as refugees from war-torn countries? And yes, we have them in Newhall. We do. In fact, we've had some through the doors of Let's Do Lunch. Is God calling you to get involved with doing justice? It's not just for organisations like BMS and Compassion and Samaritan's Purse and Tear Fund. We can all get involved in justice. Even if it's just doing the dishes for Let's Do Lunch or welcoming people for one of these events where we seek to engage the community. We can all do something. But yes, we can pray for and we can support global organizations that support refugees and the oppressed and the abused. This is why it's so important that we engage with mission speakers and with some of these organizations that seek to do justice. Some of you are called to do justice right where you are in your own family. And that can be the hardest place to do justice because it's costly. We don't have to look very far sometimes, do we, to do justice and to act mercifully. Just have to look in our own family to see who are the disadvantaged. And God says, will you do justice? Will you love kindness? Will you walk humbly with your God right with the neighbours and the family members I put right next to you and into your life? The people who are lonely, the people who are sick, the people who are mentally unwell, will you love them? Will you show them compassion and kindness? We should be the first to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, visit the sick. We should be the first to secure 
justice for the oppressed, because to do so is to act like God. Just want to read a little bit of the parable that Jesus told of the sheep and the goats. This is just a few verses from the end. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Never think that a small act of mercy and kindness and justice doesn't count. You are doing it as if you were doing it for Christ, however small it is. Get involved. Don't sit back and say that's for somebody else. What does the Lord require of you, me, to do justice, to act with mercy, to show his loving kindness to work colleagues, friends, family, neighbours. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy when we're so busy judging other people <laughs> that we forget that we've got a commission to go and do justice and act with mercy and compassion to a hurting and broken world. Jesus, you've called us to proclaim the good news, but you've also called us to demonstrate the good news in love and actions. Lord, help us to do both. Help us to be a church that proclaims the gospel, but also does the gospel. Lord, help us to be a church, corporately and individually, who do justice amongst the community, our family and friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues. Jesus, we don't want to just talk a good game. We want to live it out. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us now with more compassion than we have? Fill us, Lord, with more of your love and then send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit to do justice, to act with mercy and kindness to a hurting and broken world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Steve. Stand and sing, God of Justice.
I've just been reminded of something that was in my sermon that I forgot to say, and uh, it's really important. I, when I was preparing, I just sensed that there are a, a number of people in, in this congregation who do not yet know Christ, who have not made a decision to uh, submit to Christ and invite him into their hearts. And I just want to say to you, why are you delaying? Uh, Christ is, has open arms for you. In his love, he wants you to come to him and receive mercy and forgiveness. So if that's you, why don't you find a Christian, there's loads of us in the room, and uh, ask them to, lead, to help you to come to know Christ, to lead you in a prayer where you accept Christ for the first time. Uh, do that today. I just feel I need to say that. Um, thank you. Bless you. Thank you. So may God bless you as you go out into this week. May he help you to act justly. May he show you mercy and give you peace. Amen.